This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi there, everybody. My name is Negan. Negan? Uh, And I'm also Negan. And this is The Talking Dead, number 318, recorded on Monday, April the 3rd, 2017. If you had warned me, I would have been smoother. Do you want to do it again? No. All right. <laughs> no smoothness for us here. No, it's uh, it's April. You can't be smooth in April. No, that's right. No, uh, no smooth in April. I don't even know what that means. Anyways. <laughs> Almost um, nothing. Yeah. So uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. This is The Talking Dead, as I said, and we are here to talk about the season seven finale, uh, season finale, which is very, very exciting. But there's something I just want to mention before we get started. And last night, I don't know exactly what time, but I think around the time the season finale was starting, Chandler Riggs took to Twitter and he tweeted the following. The Walking Dead finale is going to be really good tonight. Almost the complete opposite from last year's. <laughs> and I know what he means. Take that, your job, Chandler. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, man. I know what he means. He is not trying to say that um, last year's was bad. He's trying to say that the tone and the style and all those things are the complete opposite of last year's season finale. I've had to explain this to multiple people throughout my life that uh, just because someone pays you a compliment right. or says something good about you does not imply an insult somewhere else. <laughs> exactly. And he wasn't trying to insult last year's season finale. He was just I, simply I, trying to say this year's is different. I really like your hair today. It's just a compliment. Thank you very much. Uh, I spent some time on it. It's like, well, does that mean my hair sucked yesterday? Maybe? Yeah, it's a lot but of people. It's, it's a compliment. A lot of people take things that way. Yeah, somebody I live with is a little bit like that. I'll just, <laughs> so, I'll just drop, I'll just say that right here. <laughs> and you don't have any pets. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so, anyways, um, the Walking Dead season seven finale. Let's uh, let's get right in because we have a lot of podcasting to do tonight, Jason. It was a ninety-minute friggin' episode almost. And there's a lot going on with that and, of course, with everything else we need to get to. So let's dive right in. Cool. The first day of the rest of your life. It's the first day of the rest of your life. Now we have to go to war. Rick Grimes, it's true. We owe it all to you. Aha, I'm Negan. The first day of the rest of your life is gonna suck. Not the episode, but what I'm gonna do to you. Hilltop heard you got no ammo. Sasha with sniper, she be hiding like camo. And break yo, I heard you lost your wife. This gonna be the first day of the rest of your life. Thank you so much to Anthony in Kettering, UK, Anwen in New Zealand, Mark in Boston, and Oscar on the internet for those fantastic title reads. It makes me want to watch uh, Dirty Dancing for some reason. I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine why. No, I don't know. Uh, you know that, what you should do, Chris? Which you I do. watch Dirty Dancing with your wife every year or so, I assume? I think I've seen the movie once or twice in my life. That's okay, it. We'll watch it again no. and simply watch it. And I'm just going to put this out there. Watch it for the watermelons. Just note the watermelons. 
There is one scene where somebody is carrying some watermelons up a hill into some kind of cabin or whatever. These watermelons are absolutely massive. Like, you cannot get watermelons this big anymore. The person could not carry three of them. When you walk into a grocery store nowadays, you have this cute little personal size volleyball, smaller than a, smaller than a volleyball-sized watermelon. But the watermelons and Dirty Dancing are huge. Is that some kind of euphemism? It is not a euphemism. It is absolutely and completely, utterly literal, and I'm serious. Watch it and pay attention to the watermelons. Okay. They're scary. All right. I will. That's weird, though, man. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> you got to do something when you're watching that with your wife, and yeah. she make, wants you to watch Dirty Dancing for the 15th time. Well, I don't like, know. All right. That's not a thing in my house, but now I'll bring up the watermelons and see what she says. Yeah. Anyhow... I wanted to try not to screw around too much tonight, and we already got talking about watermelons and Dirty Dancing. It is my fault. Well, I mean, you know, the, what the Dirty Dancing wasn't my fault, but the watermelons was. Yeah, so okay. just move on. Great. Let's start the episode. We got the cold open. It is another super short one. It's a, it's a tight shot on Sasha's face. She's in the dark. She's listening to music on headphones. After a, a short time, her breathing sort of starts to stutter a little bit. She closes her eyes. And turns her head to the side into the darkness, and we go to the opening credits. So, does this, you know, speak to my character if I mention what this reminds me of? No, I don't think so. Go ahead. Well, there is a website out there called Beautiful Agony. Uh, I don't know if you are aware of this, but uh, it is a website of people that have this close kind of face shot where they uh, they masturbate or something, and it's uh, it. They bring that that through to fruition and just focusing on the face the whole time. I've never heard of this. Uh, Google it. It's uh, there's they're on like it's not pornographic in any way other than you know that this person is pleasuring themselves. But uh, there's like Vimeo has stuff on there and YouTube. I think there's some beautiful agony stuff on YouTube. Google it. Okay, maybe maybe I'll do that later. <laughs> but no, I've I've never. <laughs> so heard this of is that. what I mean by uh, it's probably telling about my personality if I tell you what this reminded me of okay um well it's a whole thing i yeah well i'll look into it but i i've never heard of it before uh but what we get here is sasha in the dark no context we don't know what's going on and i mean spoiler for later in the episode but did you know in this moment she was dying no absolutely not i was thinking about something else <laughs> obviously <laughs> <laughs> clearly no well i didn't either but that's all we get for the for the uh, before the opening credits and when we come back we're, we're we're still with sasha listening to her music and now i can sort of hear truck noises in the background so she is in something on a truck is what i figured going somewhere but don't don't really know what's going on other than that and the next thing we we get is a flashback to her being woken up by abe in Alexandria. They engage in a long kiss and they talk about Maggie being in trouble and how Rick is taking her to the hilltop. Abe says he's going to help out, but she asks him not to. So we have a flashback to the just before they leave Alexandria to take Maggie to the hill, hilltop when she's when she's sick. And I really like this. Last kiss? It was nice. Was that their last kiss that we witnessed, which is kind of sad? Well, I think they kiss again later in the in this episode, but okay, it good. could have been right around the time of their last kiss, for sure. Um, but I really liked it. I enjoyed these scenes with her, with Sasha, or Sasha. You know what? We've gotten a lot of email lately of people who say, who've said we're, we're pronouncing her name wrong. It's not Sasha, it's Sasha. Are you sure? Oh, that's what everyone says. 
<laughs> and I take okay. their word for it. But okay, I'll, I'll, that's fine. I'll try to do better. I, I don't know. Anyways, uh, we cut to Sasha's cell in Negan's compound. He comes in with a covered plate of food, and he starts talking about how they're going to solve some shit today. And he's being really vague here. He doesn't really give us much, uh, except the food is blueberry pancakes and fruit. Yeah, a nice little smile with blueberries on it. Yeah, that's the kind of thing I would do for my kids. <laughs> so maybe, I would do that for my wife. Maybe that sort of is telling of, of, what, of what Negan thinks of her. I mean, I guess Negan probably didn't prepare the food, but do you think the smiley face was his direction? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think he thinks it's funny. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. It, it is sort of funny. But yeah, well, I thought it was kind of funny. I thought it was cute. Also, yeah, also kind of cute in a creepy, weird sort of way. Well, very condescending, creepy, weird way, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, but we don't get too much information here. He just says we're going to work some stuff out, and uh, we, of course, find out more later. And then before the next scene, we get a shot of Sasha and Maggie sitting on a log together staring at something. No context for this either whatsoever. Don't know what's going on. We cut over to Alexandria in the cell where Dwight is. Rick asks him why, as in, why do you want to uh, help us? And Dwight says that he wants Negan dead. He says that he can't do it alone because they're all Negan. And um, Tara reminds him of Denise, but Dwight has the unfortunate line of, I wasn't aiming for her. <laughs> it's like, that's the best he could come up with in this, in this moment where he knows, you know, he's probably on thin ice, <laughs> to say it's the not least. not wrong. No, I know he's not wrong, but maybe he could have come up with something a little more or a little less insensitive. <laughs> than... Yeah, well, I mean, he knows he can't defend that uh, action. Yeah, I know. But, you know, it's just, you know, I want to name for her. It's not, it wasn't personal. It's not like I wanted to do her harm necessarily. It was that guy with the knife that I wanted to do harm. But are you sure it's, it isn't a better idea just to apologize and not try to sort of make a stupid excuse? In... Oh, when in doubt, keep your mouth shut. Or just don't say anything, yeah. Yeah, just, you know, at every opportunity, shut up. That's a good policy in general, especially yeah. here. So Daryl's pissed, of course. He rushes at Dwight and puts a knife to his eye. And Tara repeatedly tells Daryl to do it. And, of course, nobody in the room trusts Dwight. Dwight starts apologizing, and he says that Negan owned him, but not anymore. Now that Sherry got away, he has nothing stopping, there's nothing stopping him from fighting back against Negan, and that's why he wants to, he's here to help. Yeah. And to be honest, I sort of have a, I can't believe that we didn't see this line of thinking from Dwight coming, right? The only thing that was keeping him at Alex, or at uh, the sanctuary was the fact that his wife, Sherry, was there being held by Negan. Now she's gone, so he can... He's got nothing to lose at this point, right? Yep. And uh, yeah, it makes perfect sense why he's here. Right. And I, I guess I never really thought it through. I always just sort of thought, oh, he's working on something. He's going to be coming over to help them or he's going to try to kill Negan or something. But I didn't really think of his motivations for that and what was keeping him there versus what wasn't, even though it's clear, you know, right in our face and very obvious. Right. So, um, so what happens? Um, Tara, as I said, just wants Daryl to kill him, but he doesn't. Daryl backs down, and um, Dwight tells them that Negan is coming tomorrow with 20 saviors, 
He says he can slow them down and give everyone at Alexandria time to get ready. Uh, and if they kill them, he'll radio back that everything is okay. Then they can drive the trucks back and he'll lead them right inside to wipe out the rest of the saviors. After a while, they can get the workers on their side and go from outpost to outpost to destroy all the rest of the saviors. Good plan. See, there are outposts. There are, there are plenty. So, um, we see Simon over a lot in this episode, but we don't see the other guy who, who goes to visit with the kingdom. So maybe he works at a different outpost. I would think so. And I think he's over on the far side of the kingdom. That's what I think. Right. Or, okay. They're way over there, like Odin and a whole other Megan County. <laughs> yes. He's got, he's so big and expansive. He's got different counties. Well, yeah, not, maybe not necessarily counties, but administrative districts. Okay. I'm sure that's what he calls them too. <laughs> So what do you think of this plan, this plan to lure some of them out, kill the head honcho and a few of the upper guys, and then drive the trucks back like everything is okay? Uh, well, I've been watching a lot of The Americans lately, and uh, you're familiar with that TV show? Yeah, I've seen the pilot. That's it. Uh, it's actually, I, I, I'm pretty much caught up and I really enjoy it. And one of the things, I think they mentioned it, uh, in one episode in like season three or something, but beware of defectors that come to you with a plan. Hmm. So as, as soon as like defecting is one thing, but having a plan when you defect, you have to, you know, you have to take that with a grain of salt. So as soon as he came up with a plan, when I saw this, it's just like, uh, no, he doesn't want to just help. He wants to help with this plan he has to help. And that made me worried immediately. But w why is that such a bad thing if someone defects from your enemy with a plan to overthrow the enemy? Is it like too eager or something? It's too eager. It's uh, leading you. There's a real good chance that they're leading you into a trap. Right. And the, I mean, that obviously is what everyone's worried about here, right? But yeah. um, it's, on its face, though, I feel like it's a pretty good plan. It sounds like a good plan. Yeah, all the more reason to worry. I guess so. Perfectly yeah. reasonable. It's like, holy shit. No, you take the guy, you get information, come up with your own damn plan. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense when, when you put it that way. Um, but when I was watching it, I thought, boy... That's a good plan. It's too bad Rick didn't come up with this plan himself. The problem is yep. you you need a savior to to help. You need someone who they will trust when he radios back and says, we're, we're all good here. We're on our way home now. Yeah. Right? That's what Rick didn't have. So I can see why, though, it's tempting for them to go along with this plan. And in fact, they do, because that night we see Dwight. He's leaving. And Rick and Daryl are standing there talking about how it's all started now. This is, this is, this is happening, you know, that we can't turn this off now. But Daryl says he's going to kill Dwight when this is done, no matter what. Well, that's what I was thinking too. As soon as they were in the, uh, you know, uh, in the, uh, in the cage there, when uh, Tara was saying "kill him, kill him, kill him," yeah. I was like, you know, get some information. You can kill him later. There's no reason why you can't just kill him, you know, after. Yeah, yeah. Talk to him first, <laughs> then stab him in the eye. I mean, that only makes some sense, right? Yeah, and that would be, you know, fitting because that's how uh, Dr. Denise died, right? Maybe that's why he was pointing the knife right at his eye. It's just like, I'm going to get you in the eye just like you did to Dr. Denise, you bitch. Oh, poetic justice. Yeah. <laughs> well, we go He'll to- get his just desserts eventually. Oh, he will. I'm sure he will. We go to a commercial break, and when we come back, we're back on Sasha in the darkness. We flash back to her and Abraham again, and she tells him that she had a dream that he died. And maybe wonder about the timeline. Because we don't get any real context of what's going on with Sasha, right? So we don't really know what the timeline is. So it, uh, and I read at the beginning, they were also messing with context. Yeah. 
So that made me, you know, I had a dream that you died, made me wonder, you know, at what point, you know, what was that dream? Was the dream being beaten to death by, by Negan, which makes this a fantasy? Uh, you know, it did, made me wonder what was going on. Yeah, I, I sort of know what you mean. Like, I didn't really have, I, I, I understood when, or I think I understood when this was happening. Like, we know they're about to leave to take Maggie. But what I didn't understand is, is this some kind of itself a dream? Or did this all really happen? Or is she, or is she imagining this, uh, this conversation with him? Yeah, it didn't help that I watched a movie last night called The Discovery on Netflix. Netflix original. Okay. I'm not going to ruin that movie, but it clouded my uh, understanding of what was going on here. All right. So go watch that movie, and then you'll know what I'm talking about. All right. Maybe I will. Um, but that's all we get from Sasha and Abe. At this point, we go back into her cell, and Negan, <laughs> we come back to her talking to Negan, and he says, so that's the plan, <laughs> but we don't know what the plan is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we skipped over the plan for now. Uh, I d that did not bother me at all because I knew... We were going to find out the plan very soon. Yeah, it's a story plan. I mean, they talk about the plan and then we get to see the plan. They do that in books and movies all the time. Right, of course. Negan says things like Sasha will come out but not make a peep and Lucille will get three and so they can start a new understanding with everybody. He, he says Lucille, he's going to kill three people with Lucille. But of course, Sasha says nobody else has to die and they ultimately agree to Negan killing just one not three. And weirdly, I thought that Sasha actually agrees that just one person needs to die. Yep. No, I knew she was doing a double entendre th there. It was like, yep, just one person. That's it. That's fine. That's good. Yes, I'm on board. Sure thing. Yeah, but the one person is her, and yep. that's why she agreed to it. Well, yeah, I, I thought maybe she was thinking of Negan at the time, but ultimately we know that that's not true. Yeah, that's right. Or maybe is it? You know, I mean, she was, uh, her plan was to kill Negan, right? Well, that's what she, she wanted found to a do. way, you know, we're spoiling the end of the episode, but I assume that everybody's seen the episode since we're talking about it now, or at least are okay with us talking about the episode. So I feel like I'm okay to spoil it. It's kind of the idea we're here. Yeah. Yeah. She found a way to take the pill and attack Negan mm -hmm. or, or, you know, use it to try and kill Negan, which is fantastic. So maybe she's still talking about Negan, right? Just one person has to die. Still thinking you, you some bitch. Yeah. She doesn't include herself in that, I guess. Um, but we cut over to Sasha and Maggie. They're sitting there looking some more. <laughs> we don't really know what's going on there. Uh, then back at the hilltop, Maggie and Jesus are talking about what to do. She basically recaps the whole situation for him and is trying to make a decision on whether or not to join the fight. Enid is there along with Judith. Somehow Judith made it to the hilltop. She just, you know, she wanders around. I guess so. I guess she kind of wandered over. How how did she get there? Well, I guess someone took her and delivered her there at some point because she's safer there, maybe, because they figure the saviors are going to come to Alexandria. Well, who would have done that? Like, do you think Rick brought her over and then turned around and went home? Yeah, maybe. I don't think it's that important. <laughs> I just, no, I wonder. She's, you know, not very old. I don't think she got there by herself. No, I, I don't think so, but she can stand. We saw her stand. So, yeah, and I'm, I presumably she can walk, so maybe she did get by, there by herself. They gave her a map and said, you know, you got to learn to survive in this world. Good luck. Yeah, good luck. We'll see Here's you, uh, a knife. We'll see you somewhere. <laughs> Don't hurt yourself. Yeah. Uh, but Edith, or Enid takes Judith away, and she hands Maggie the watch, which is Glenn's watch and formerly Herschel's watch. 
what I didn't quite understand is why does Enid have it? Like, why is Enid holding the watch at that point? She's the watch holder when, she, you know, Maggie doesn't need it. She's the keeper of the watch. I mean, she's Maggie's assistant, basically. Yeah, she's, you know, assistant watch handler. <laughs> okay, I guess so. She hands it back to Maggie. We go over to the kingdom people, along with Carol, of course, and they're traveling on the road. They come to a row of shopping carts, which was similar to what Richard did, and it turns out this time it was Morgan who lined, lined them up. He comes out, he's wearing Ben's armor, and his whole plan was to ambush some saviors as they came along the road. But Carol and Ezekiel convince him to join the fight and not to do it alone. Yeah, which, just like Vader did with Luke. Uh, it, it didn't yeah. go over so well in that case. Yeah, not not quite as well. Um, I really love this scene, to be honest. The way Ezekiel spoke to Morgan, I thought was really great. I know they really sort of played up the king speech type stuff in this, and uh, Kari Payton really laid it on thick, his sort of king attitude. But I really thought it was great. I really liked it. And... I, I just liked how he convinced him to join them, convinced Morgan to join them by by telling him that he can can do this without having, you know, he doesn't have to give up everything about who he is and he can still join this fight. Yeah, that's true. Right? So Yeah, it was good. It was good. I liked it too. I thought it was good. And, and he says things like they must seek allies and stuff like that. And it was just a really good speech, I thought. And I enjoyed, I enjoyed watching it. So Morgan agrees to go with them sort of silently. He nods his head and they all head off down the road. And uh, the tiger looked amazing. I thought the tiger it, looked it better did. in this episode than it has ever before in the series. I agree. And I noticed that, uh, you know, throughout this, this episode, I noticed a tiger and I thought, yeah, okay. So they spent some money on this episode to get that tiger just right. And, uh, you know, I applaud them for it. Me too. I thought, I thought uh, the tiger was amazing. So we go to a commercial break, and when we come back, we're in Alexandria, and the scavengers are arriving. They drive there in their garbage trucks and bicycles. <laughs> That's right. I told you that garbage trucks make great armored vehicles, as long as you don't mind the stink. Right. Hey, maybe she... Or, you know, get caught in the hydraulics. Yeah, don't get stuck in the back. But there were people sitting in the backs of these garbage trucks, which I thought yeah. was cool. There was a point where I was in a band, and I thought that it'd be great to convert an old garbage truck into a tour bus. I thought that, and we called it the garbage tour, but you know, I was 18 or 19 at the time and didn't know how much garbage trucks cost or how much they stink. I mean, you could stunk. probably clean them and get rid of the smell, but they're still expensive. <laughs> yeah. And you know, gas would be bad too, but I thought, I always thought that would be a great idea. Maybe convert an old garbage truck into a camper. That'd be pretty cool. It'd be kind of interesting, I guess. Maybe a new garbage truck unused into a camper. Sounds expensive. You know, paint that all up, put up, uh, you know, painted some, uh, what I like to call fire engine blue. I think that'd be, uh, that'd be really nice. That would be a wonderful vehicle. It's like fire engine red, but blue. But no? Blue. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so the scavengers arrive and Jadis and Rick talk about fighting for each other, like fighting for the people, not for the place so much. And then in the weirdest and possibly funniest scene of the episode, Jadis asks Michonne if that when this is all done, she can lay with Rick. Yeah. You've <laughs> never asked anybody that? It's like, well, yeah. no, not really. <laughs> she yours? Can I, can I? Yeah, the other way around would be really, really condescending and creepy and borderline illegal. Is she yours? Uh, well, we're together. It's like, well, when this is done, 
Do you mind if I sleep with her? It's like, ask her, asshole. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. It's, I think no matter how this happens, it's kind of bizarre. <laughs> it's bizarre when it's a woman doing it to a man. It is incredibly offensive when a man does it to a woman. It, come on, you could say it's it, it's offensive either way, really. I agree, but this scene came off more as funny. Just reverse the genders and see what happens. Yeah. It has a completely different tone. No, you're absolutely right. This did come off as funny more than offensive, really, which is which is strange. Uh, but they just decide to get back to work, and uh, I like the look Jadis gives. She turns to the camera and gives like a, well, I took a shot, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yep. That was that was part of what made it funny for me. So we see Daryl, Aaron, and Rosita uh, rigging a truck with a whole bunch of dynamite and explosives and some kind of remote trigger. Um, then we cut over to the saviors who are stuck in a roadblock of fallen trees, and this was Dwight's doing. He was going to slow them down by putting a bunch of trees across the road. Yep. While they're cutting it up, Eugene comes to Negan and asks if he can talk to the people at Alexandria first when they get there. He wants right. to see cool if he their can... jets and slow their roll. Exactly. Diffuse things a little bit and just, you know, maybe we can talk and we don't have to blow each other up. Uh, we go back to more preparation at Alexandria. They're moving cars into place on the road. Michonne is up in one of the buildings uh, with one of the scavengers taking a sniper position. And the scavenger there tells her, we win. And Michonne agrees. Right. Cool. Because why would they, why would... Why would they want to lose? They don't, of course. Commercial break, come back. We're on Sasha's face, then back to her and Abe. And she's still saying that they can sit this one out. So she's still kind of trying to convince him that they don't need to go on this journey to the hilltop with Maggie because they do so much for them anyways. And he wants to know how he died in the dream. And she explains that they were at the beach before the apocalypse, which I think is interesting because they didn't know each other before the apocalypse. And he got pulled under the water and uh, she, you know, went to help him and started to drown herself. And he drowned, which is pretty hor pretty horrific. I always imagine drowning would be one of the worst ways to go. I, I, well, I, I agree. I, don't, I can't imagine the... Suffering and pain that you would go through, drowning. People say it's peaceful, but I really don't believe that. Yeah, I, I don't really believe it either. I think it would be totally horrible. Um, anyways, Sasha says that Maggie's got to take care of herself, and she basically says that we don't have to help her all the time. Before we get any fallout from that comment, we go back to um, Eugene, and he's escorting Sasha through, Sasha, Sasha, through the halls, of the uh, sanctuary and he asks if she's going to take the allergy medication he gave her and she confirms that she is. There you go. She doesn't want to have a cold. No. Or that's you know, right. be stuffed up or. Doesn't want to have you know, runny have any... eyes, anything like yeah. that. Runny nose. That makes perfect, perfect double entendre sense. <laughs> it sure does. Uh, but she also says something to him about everybody has their way out and, um, or he says that everyone has their way out and she shouldn't judge him for taking his which is basically to become a Negan. Yeah. Right? Because that's where he's safest. Uh, Sasha and Maggie sitting, staring again. And this time they speak and Sasha says, why are we here? And Maggie simply says, for this. Still don't really know where they are or what they're looking at. Scavengers um, back at Alexandria are making weird signals to each other. 
I figured they were just kind of practicing their their signaling, which they have a system down for. Yeah. No, I knew that something was happening. I don't know if it was practicing, but I knew something was happening. They were using pens. It looked like a, an empty pen barrel. So like whistle, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which is ridiculous. Why not just yell, hey, someone's coming? Because, you know, when you hear a sound like that, that's obviously artificial and it gets answered by an obviously artificial sound. Uh, you know, you might as well just be yelling, Hey, they're coming. Okay, great. We're ready. Well, what were the saviors doing, um, back at the end of last season? Were they snapping or clapping or something? Uh, I think there was clicking or yeah, something like that. They did that in world war two. They had clickers when they were, uh, on D-Day when they were going through, uh, you know, to identify friendlies from foe, you'd click, you hear this little click, click, click. Right. The saviors were snapping their fingers, weren't they? Yeah, I, I don't now. recall, to tell you the truth. I, I think they were, but I, I didn't think of it at the time, but it kind of reminds me of that now. The saviors were making that noise to identify each other, and the scavengers, I guess, have these little whistle devices that they yeah. they use to talk to each other. Yeah, so I remember, uh, well, a couple things. One is I remember walking downtown Toronto and walking past uh, the corner of a building, and someone behind me made a whistling noise, like... <whistles> And then somebody else, and then I was like, oh shit, what the hell's about to happen? Because I was about to go around a corner. And as I was going around, I did went around the corner anyway, like a moron. And somebody was spray painting the wall around the corner. And what was happening was he was warning them that somebody was coming, right? But it was obvious. It wasn't like, okay, oh my God, there's a bird. It's three o'clock in the morning. I'm walking downtown Toronto. Well, geez, what's that bird doing behind me right near that guy that's standing there? <laughs> so, you know, making sounds like that, if you want to be discreet, friggin' be discreet. If you want to yell, hey, someone's coming. It's obvious because I knew that that's what was happening uh, after I found out that I wasn't about to be stabbed because that was my first thought. Oh. Uh, the second thing is that you have to make animal noises that sound realistic in the uh, environment that you're in that obviously, uh, you know, people won't notice that you're about to, to make. Like you remember in Lord of the Rings? Uh, no, it was The Hobbit. It was the first Hobbit movie. When uh, a couple of the dwarves went to Bilbo, he said, okay, when, when you see the... Uh, when when you see the ponies, uh, hoot once like a barn owl and twice like a field owl. Like what what? <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So you know, obviously, it's it's ridiculous to understand what the difference between a barn owl and a field owl is. I'm sure somebody the dwarves, out there does. Maybe it makes sense. Yeah. Maybe. Anyway, uh, I thought that the signal that they were using was absolutely ridiculous. Okay. Just yell. I I suppose. Yeah. Maybe they were practicing, or they were letting everyone know that. You know, stuff's about to start happening here because everybody appears to be in position on or behind the walls. And Rick is up top. He yells down to Rosita uh, and he says that he'll signal her when he's ready. So the saviors drive up and Eugene is on a flatbed with a megaphone. And he basically, in his weird sort of way, asks Rick to surrender. But... Rick wants to know where Negan is, and Eugene's answer is, I'm Negan, yeah. <laughs> which was great. Uh, now, Rick takes some time to consider what to do, because what we know, what we can tell here is the plan is that they have parked right beside this truck that they've rigged with all the explosives. The plan was for Rosita to press the button to trigger the explosives and blow up the saviors basically outside the gate to Alexandria. And if they didn't kill them all, then probably just go in and clean up the mess after with whoever's, whoever's remaining. Um, but of course now Eugene is standing there. So Rick has to decide whether to change the plan at the last second 
or to blow up Eugene along with everyone else. Shoot Eugene in the head. That was, you know, as long as much as I would hate to see the armored pierogi get uh, taken out in the first shot, that's probably what they should have done. Well, or look in the window of the car behind him where Negan was actually sitting, because they could probably tell that. Yeah, and a good enough sniper could probably have hit him <laughs> from through the car windshield. But Rick has to decide: is he going to sacrifice who a man who was, you know, his friend for a long time? even if he considers him not one anymore because of what he's done. But Rick decides to do it. He gives Rosita the signal, and she presses the button. Now, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, there is no explosion, and suddenly the scavengers all point their guns at the Alexandrians. Betrayed. There has been a double cross of great magnitude here quite a thing. Um, Rick, when the explosion doesn't go off, Rick seems to realize what's happening just before it does, I thought. I think he suddenly realized that something is amiss, and uh, then, of course, he has a gun pointed at him, and that's it. And Negan steps out of the truck. So, quite the turn of events. It turns out that the scavengers did, in fact, double-cross them and betray them, which is something some people suspected. And it turns out that Jadis and or one of the scavengers is the little bird that tipped off Negan to what was going on. Yeah, I would assume that that's the case, that they're the little bird. Yeah, well, they definitely are, because at one point, um, Jadis tells uh, Rick that Tamiel, her you know right-hand woman, made a better deal with the saviors. So you have to assume that it was, it was her that, uh, yeah. that tipped them off. Um, Michonne is not out of the woods yet, though. I haven't completely let go of her being a little bird as well. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. But on the other hand, I am completely in a, uh, of the mind that, uh, that Eugene is fully Negan. Like he's gone over the dark side for sure. Like he's not holding out anything at all anymore. He doesn't have a plan. He's, he's Negan. He's just doing his new job. Yeah. Cause he has, you know, basically he, uh, what, brought me over to that thinking was when he mentioned to Sasha, you know, don't condemn me for the way I'm taking out or getting out of it you know, yep. for what I'm doing. And now, you know, was like, okay, well, I believe that now. Yeah. Yeah. He, so. he doesn't, he's got no ulterior motive. He simply saw this as a way to live a safer and more comfortable life. Which, you know, in retrospect, I actually like more, you know, cause you know, good guys, uh, being good guys all the time. And bad guys being bad guys all the time. I like it when uh, good guys go to the dark side every now and again. And when a good bad guy goes to the light. Yeah, totally. That was a betrayal as well. Cause we had, he didn't, he didn't go to the light. He was, he was fucking them over. Cause you never trust a uh, defector with a plan. No, no, I, I agree with you. I think it's cool that, that they've done, gone this route with uh, Eugene as well. I don't think Eugene will ever really be redeemed. I mean, I don't think he's coming back to the, the good side. You know, if you can call it that. So I kind of like it. I think it's a cool twist. Well, I don't know about that. I think he could come back to the light, but he'd have to have something huge to bring to be, uh, so that people would be compelled to let him back into Alexandria. Oh, what could it be though? I just don't see what he could bring back to them that would be valuable enough. You know, that stuffed animal he had, maybe that was, uh, you know, made of solid plutonium. I have no idea. Well, no, I'm just, I just don't think there's, there's anything like, 
some betrayals you just cannot come back from. Now, has he done anything? He didn't kill anybody, you know, whatever. He just he just left or he was taken. Don't forget, he didn't even go of his own free will. He was taken and he decided to join them with no hesitation. I so, think he could come back into the fold. I would think I think it would take something big, but I have every faith in the writing writing staff of this show to think of something to bring him back into the fold. The thing is though, I almost find it more I find him more interesting now almost. I feel like, you know, it I I enjoy watching people do stuff they're good at, right? That's something you get in movies and TV shows. You watch people being experts at stuff, you know. Uh, Walter White was really good at what he did in Breaking Bad, and it was entertaining to watch. Eugene is finally doing something that he's really good at, and I do must, I must admit, I find it entertaining to watch. More so than him just hanging around being a coward the whole time. But when this storyline wraps up, you know, I would be, it would be sad for him to die. Yeah, it would be sad, but at least he went out doing something he was good at. That's true, and I would be happy with that, but I, you know, I want him to stay around in the show, and that's why I'm thinking that we should bring him back into the fold somehow, because this storyline's got to wrap up. It can't go on forever, and Eugene's not going to be the big bad guy from now on, so, you know, either he's got to be a good guy again, or he's got to die, and I don't want him to die. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. So, I don't know, we'll have to see what happens. Um... Just before we go to a commercial break, though, after Negan gets out of the truck, we get Michonne. She's up there watching through the scope. She realizes what what's happened, that they've been double-crossed. And she also realizes that she's up there with one of the scavengers, of course, who also has a gun. And she turns around. The scavenger up there has her gun pointed at her and says, we win. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that. After the break... Um, this is where Jadis explains that Tam, Tam, Tamiel made a better deal with the Saviors. And Negan questions why Rick would try to blow up Eugene, and he calls Rick and his people animals. They would blow right. up one of their own. That's quite the thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's typical uh, bad guy thing, right? You know, ignore the shit that you're doing and call out the shit that they're doing just to be an asshole. Sure. But that's what that's what they do. That's what everybody does. And this is what we've been talking about, right? It's like, yes, I beat people to death with a baseball bat, and that's pretty bad. But you were about to blow up one of your own people. That's totally worse. Yes, yeah, exactly. You know? Um, we get Dwight and Simon. They come up, and they uncover a coffin that is on the flatbed that um, Eugene was standing up. They prop it up on its end. And Negan tells them all that Sasha is inside and she's alive and well, <laughs> or so he So thinks. I have a question. Okay. Do coffins normally stand up on their ends like that, or did they have to modify it so that uh, it would stand up? It was on a dolly. So it was on wheels. So it was leaning against the, a dolly. But don't they have like, you know, handles or hinges or something? I mean, they're, coffins are not designed to stand up straight, right? I don't think so. I You don't see coffins standing up on their end very often. So. so I think they would have to modify it in order to have it stand up on its end to be dramatic. Because, you know, if it was just lying down there, it's like, we're going to open this up and then you have to help her out and all that kind of stuff. It was, it was more dramatic to stand it up on its end. So they had to go through the whole process of modifying this coffin so that uh, it would be more dramatic. That's okay. I mean, modify a coffin. It's definitely more dramatic. And and if, and if it was lying down and they open it, you know, you can't really see in from far away, you know, you need it to be standing up and making like a, being like a monolith standing yeah, and there. and Negan is nothing if not uh, theatrical. Well, totally. That man is theatrical <laughs> and dramatic. So 
Um, he says she's alive and well. Negan says he knows about all the new guns that Rick has gathered up and he wants them. He says he wants everything they have, including for Rick to choose somebody for Lucille. Yeah. Every, everything he says, every, we want everything right now or Sasha dies. Including the pool table. Right. The cues, the chalk, everything. <laughs> yeah. The whole shooting match. I want the whole pool table. That, that's right. So Rick, he asks to see Sasha. And of course, Negan agrees. He knocks on the coffin and he starts to open it. But we cut back inside the coffin to Sasha's face and then back to her and Abraham. So we do like a double <laughs> flashback kind of. She says that the dream felt real to Abraham, like they lost their relationship even though it had just started. And then he kisses her again and says that she didn't really mean um, what she said about Maggie and that Maggie needs to help herself for once, which, uh, which was pretty cool. Uh, and he's basically telling her that she's a better person than that, right? She's not just going to leave the woman to suffer on her own. She's going to do what she needs to do to help her out because she's a friend. She's part of the family. Uh, they, he says they put them out, they put themselves out there for other people because that's the point of doing all this. And Abraham tells her that Maggie's carrying the future and she ultimately agrees and they leave the house to go help. So if there was any question as to whether they were going to go on this mission to get Maggie to the hilltop, you know, they've decided that that's what they do because that's the kind of people they are. Then we see Eugene back at the sanctuary. We see him bringing Sasha outside to the truck with the coffin. And he gives her an iPod for the trip so she can listen to some music. And he says that he wishes he had measured up. And Sasha tells him that she hasn't given up on him. You know, he can still redeem himself. See? Don't give up on him. No, I kind of did, but... Partly because I just enjoy seeing him in his new new role, you know. Well, he's wearing all he's wearing a black coat with a black you know black shirt. Well, he looks good. He does look good. I mean, even his hair is freshly dyed, right? It was kind of brownish before, but now it's like jet black. The guy he he knows he knows what he likes. He knows what makes him look good, and he's gone for it. He just needs a mustache. <laughs> if he had a mustache, it'd be perfect. Like he, a big handlebar mustache, exactly. He can just yeah. twirl it, yes. Yeah, you get some mustache wax, you twirl that sucker up, put a nice curl in it. He could be dastardly once he does that. Oh, he definitely would be. But Sasha asks for a bottle of water and says she'll be fine. Uh, and then Negan comes along and says that he appreciates what she's doing because, you know, it's going to be hard. I thought this scene was a little bit weird. He was... He he seemed genuinely thankful to her for what she was about to do. And maybe he was, based on what their plan was. But I just found it strange that Negan would suddenly sort of be all genuine and thank her for doing this and really appreciate her, her efforts. Well, that's because Negan likes to be theatrical, and she's willing to participate in this theater of, uh, you know, kill her or kill somebody else, even though she's already agreed that they'll kill somebody else. Uh, and then she'll join Negan. That's what he thinks, right? So he's appreciative of, uh, you know, I, I like it that you're, you're playing things this way and, uh, that, you know, you're willing to do this for me. That's awesome. And he's thinking what could, you know, this is going to work out great for us. This is the best plan I've ever had. I think he's thinking. 
You know what I wondered? Uh, it was right at this point when they were standing in front of the uh, the coffin and she was about to get in. Uh, you know what thought crossed my mind? Aren't coffins airtight? Well, I didn't think of that at the time, but uh, we'll get to that. Because there's no reason to put in holes, right? You're not going to put air holes in or speed holes or anything like that. No, you're not going to put either of those kind of holes in a coffin. <laughs> not anymore. I mean, they used to. They used to have coffins where you would, uh, uh, there was a, uh, I forget, I think it was like in the 1800s or maybe in the late 1700s, where people, there was a, a run of people being worried about being buried alive, like appearing dead, but not actually being dead because, you know, it was hard to tell back then. You put a mirror in front of their face, if it didn't fog up, they're dead, bury them. But what they would do is they would bury them, but there would be a um, uh, kind of a shaft built up to the, uh, up above the dirt with a little bell on it and they'd have a string on it and they'd tie the string to the person's hand. So if they woke up in there, they could, they move their hand and the bell would ring and it'd be, holy shit, we got to dig them up. And that was an air hole as well. Right. That was a real thing. And it actually worked in a couple of cases where people would be like walking past the graveyard and the bell would be dinging like, holy shit, let's dig that person up. And it'd be alive. That's nuts, man. Can you imagine waking up in a coffin and you settled? nap and suddenly you're buried alive? Well, I mean, obviously you were in a coma of some kind, right? Like it's not just taking a sleeping. It's like, oh, he's I snoring. Know. He must be dead. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. God, because I'd be in trouble then, wouldn't I? <laughs> uh, you know, it was a real fear and it was a legitimate fear apparently because that really happened. But once medicine, you know, advanced a little bit and they could actually tell when someone was dead, uh, you know, it was less of a risk. Well, that's crazy. But these days you're saying they don't have Air holes, air holes or bell holes in coffins. Yeah, because once you do an autopsy and or embalm somebody, you're pretty sure they're dead. Pretty sure, yeah. Pretty sure, yeah. You oh. know, once you drain all the blood and fill it with, you know, I don't even know what they do, but I don't want to think about it. Yeah. I no. want to be I want to be cremated, by the way, saying it <laughs> Okay, right now. it's official. It's official. Yeah. You put it out there. I've okay. told my wife. She knows, but I'm just telling you and everybody else. All right. Well, just you should, in case. You should get a will made. Yeah, okay. This is it. This is my internet will. (laughs) I want to be cremated. All right. Everyone heard it. Uh, Well, um, so what happens next? Negan closes the coffin. We cut inside. She's playing the music and we see Sasha take the poison pill. Yeah. So there goes the pill. Sasha took it. I guess there's still one pill out there somewhere, but uh, for now, this is the only one that's important. Cut back to Negan. He's opening the coffin And dun-dun-dun, zombie Sasha comes out at him, and together they fall off the flatbed. Yeah, that was awesome. It was pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome. I must admit, I liked it a lot. I didn't understand what was happening until I saw her come out of the coffin. Like, I have to, I was surprised. Like, even though there was, like, obviously, you know, in retrospect, the entire lead up to it, uh, you probably knew what was happening because you're smarter than I am. But I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know what her plan was. I didn't know what the fuck was going on until the zombie came out. And I'm like, all right. I thought that was cool. But there's no way I thought Negan was going to die because of that. No, I didn't think Negan was going to die either. I realized what was about to happen when I saw her take the pill. But I did not, in the cold open, realize that that was her, like, moment of death that we saw. I thought maybe she was just going to be dead, but, you know, I forgot what universe we're in. Right. You don't just die, right? <laughs> no, you don't in just this die. universe? <laughs> no. I mean, the timing was all really good, you know, she killed herself at the right time so that she'd already come back when he opened the thing, because if he'd opened it and her dead body just slumped out, it wouldn't have been nearly as effective, but 
it worked out. She was a zombie. She comes out at him, knocks him off the flatbed. And uh, that was super amazing. So Carl now uses this moment as a distraction to start shooting. And he takes out some of the scavengers that are around him. And suddenly everybody starts shooting and a full-on battle has started. Carl was awesome. He was shitty in the last episode where he was shooting with his eye patch, but uh, he was uh, he was a master of uh, blowing people away in this uh, in this episode. I was really happy with Carl. Me too. Carl is when you think about it, barely been in season seven at all. <laughs> you know, that's because he's been waiting for this moment. It was it was his hero moment of the whole season. It was. it was awesome. It was amazing. He was the first one to start shooting, and he took out a bunch of scavengers around him. But then the whole fight breaks out, and uh, it was it was pretty cool. Uh, Michonne is up in the tower with the scavenger woman up there and they're fighting hand to hand, which was pretty cool. Girl fight, yeah. Girl fight. Uh, Rosita gets hit. She gets shot. And Jadis and Rick are still up there standing on the wall. She's got a gun at him and he's kind of like, what the hell do I do now? This is going on. We can't do anything. She wants to sleep with him. She's, so she's not going to shoot him. Cause she said, you know, knowing full well what was about to happen, do you mind if I sleep with him after? Right. So this is still, you know, during, she's still expecting there to be an after. Interesting. She knew what was going to happen. She wanted to have sex with him. So now she can't kill him because she wants to have sex with him. That's right. So, and she kind of figures that, uh, um, uh, that Michonne is going to die. Right. Cause that's part of the plan. I assume that Michonne will die. Yep. And, uh, once she's out of the way, she just wanted, you know, she thought she was doing the right thing by saying, do you mind if I sleep with him, you know, after? Right, because you're not going to be around. It's the, yeah, it's a good thing to do, right? If you, if you, somebody breaks up with, uh, with their girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, and you want to go with that boyfriend, girlfriend, you get permission from the previous boyfriend, girlfriend, just to make sure everything's cool. Is everything cool? We're all friends here. You know, I kind of, I'm interested in him. Do you mind if I sleep with him? I mean, it was a little premature, admittedly, but. She, she's an odd duck, so she's probably thinking that she did the right thing. Do you mind if I sleep with him after? So that's why she's not killing him. Interesting. Very, I, I, your logic is sound-ish. <laughs> so that's pretty good. Well, Makes sense to me. Yeah, I, it does sort of make sense in a bizarre way. Well, um, there on the wall, a savior down on the ground pulls Sasha off Negan, but ends up getting eaten by her. So Negan is safe. This other guy is not. And Simon sort of grabs Negan, protects him, and Negan says, plan B it is. You know what? As soon as I saw Simon helping uh, Negan. Yes. That was my number one biggest fear in this whole episode. I didn't care if anybody else died. I wanted Simon to survive. Already we had dealt with the uh, with the Eugene situation. We knew that he was going to live because they didn't shoot him right off the bat. And if, you know, if they didn't shoot him then, they're not going to shoot him later. He's just going to go cower behind a, you know, a, I don't even know what I'm bored and not get shot and be whatever. But Simon's going to be in the thick of it from this point forward, right? Yep. That was my biggest fear. This is that they would kill off Simon. And I didn't want that to happen. Sneegan, I don't give a shit about, you know, Rick, whatever, Carl, he had his hero moment. So, you know, get rid of him if you have to, but please God, let Simon survive this episode. Don't kill Stephen Ogg. <laughs> yeah, that was it. That was my biggest fear. Okay. Well, uh, he lives. So yeah, yeah, no, can, I know. I'm happy. You can, you know, take comfort in that. Uh, we go back up to Jadis and Rick though, and she shoots Rick in the side of his 
stomach. I mean, yeah. just grazed him, I think. Yeah, you take out a kidney. It's a through and through. It's fine. Well. It's a survivable wound. And then she kicks him off the wall. So he rolls uh, off that must have hurt. the ground. Especially since he had an axe on his belt. Right? Yeah, you land on that axe with a gunshot <laughs> wound and you're like, I don't know, 20 feet up. That's pretty high to fall. It was an ouch. It was an ouchy minute for Rick. Definitely, definitely was. After a commercial break, there's more fighting. Uh, Michonne is up there getting her ass handed to her by that scavenger. The scavenger is slamming her face into the ground, into the floor, basically, and blood is just mushing around. Yeah, we know that doesn't work. What? Well, the slamming someone's face into the ground like that, you know, she's got her, oh, she had one hand. I don't know. It just, I, I've seen this thing in a fight in real life and it doesn't work out as well as you think, smashing somebody's head into something. Well, if you do it enough, it's going to work out. Yeah. And Michonne's like hand-to-hand combat is her thing. And she had her sword with her, didn't her? Didn't, didn't her? (laughs) Her did. (laughs) (laughs) What do you call those pronouns? Didn't she? (laughs) She did, but... You know, she was holding a gun at the time and the savior, I mean, the scavenger snuck up on her. So I think Michonne was just taken advantage of in this situation and she got the better of her, the scavenger did. Yeah, well, absolutely. This uh, this uh, scavenger had the initiative, but, you know, Michonne can take care of herself. And in hand-to-hand combat, I really don't think that Michonne would have had her ass handed to her like that. Well, maybe not, but I mean, you don't know. This scavenger may be the best, like, hand-to-hand fighter they have. You know, maybe she matches Michonne at in the punching skills, and she just got the better of her because she took her by surprise. It could be. That's all I'm saying. It, it could be, but, you know. At the end well, of the- I'd, I'd like to have a little more information. I believe in Michonne. I don't know who this lady is, but, uh, so I felt that Michonne would have, you know, taken her apart personally. Okay, well- you you never know. I mean, but no matter what, Michonne does not look so good. Uh, we see Jadis leading Rick through all the bodies. The saviors seem to have taken control of the situation a little bit. Uh, back up at Michonne, she just looks terrible. She's being choked out by the woman. So Michonne is really taking it bad. Jadis brings Rick over to Negan and makes him kneel beside Carl. And then uh, Negan calls them filthy garbage people. Yeah. <laughs> after helping. Didn't I say that? I said that. <laughs> I, yeah, but like after they helped him, he still insults them. So, Well, he said no offense. How can you take offense when you say no offense? Oh, that's, I, the, that's, that's the all clear, right? That's the, yeah, that's right. As no long offense. as he said it. You're uh, a filthy garbage person, Chris. No offense. Oh, see, no problem. I'm clear man. now. Good. I'm glad you feel okay. <laughs> yeah. Jada says to Negan that the deal is for 12. Negan says, no, 10, and then she relents and says, okay, 10, after he stares her down. So all Negan has to do is stare at her, and she she relents. 12 what? Is I didn't it, understand. Is it people? I don't know. I'm not sure either. I don't think we know. Monkeys? Garbage trucks? Helicopters? What? Could be any of those things. I'm thinking people. Like, does, does Jadis want 12 or 10 of the Alexandrians? But, like, For I don't... Slaves? Or armored zombie pets? Oh, yeah, maybe to turn into armored zombie pets. There's lots of dead bodies lying around. Yeah. You know, you don't, you know, if you need to get a zombie, go get a zombie, damn it. You don't have to negotiate for people. So, anyway, this confused me. I didn't know. I'm hoping that it all becomes clear in the fullness of time because I don't know what they were negotiating for. No, I'm not quite sure either, but I'm, I, I imagine we'll find out. Unless we don't, I don't know. I'm not sure how many of the scavengers are going to be left after this, but uh, Negan starts going on about starting all over again, you know, 
Uh, we had a good thing going here, but you guys screwed it all up. And Carl speaks up and he tells Negan he's not going to win, but Negan doesn't seem to agree. Well, of course not. Of course not. Uh, now, the scavenger with Michonne uh, has her over the edge of the building. And Rick is looking around at all the devastation around him, and he sees somebody fall off the building from a distance, and he hears a scream. So he assumes that it was Michonne. Did you think it was Michonne? <sighs> no, not really. No, me neither. When you're bent over backwards off a railing like that, it's a perfect opportunity in action movies to uh, kick that person up over you and toss them over the uh, over the edge while you're nice and safe leaning on the uh, on the railing. Yeah, I can only assume that's exactly what happened. Yeah. But Rick doesn't know this, and uh, Negan sort of goads him about losing somebody important to him just now, and then he says that he's going to kill Carl as punishment for this whole situation. Finally. And then he says that Lucille is going to take Rick's hands, so he's going to kill Carl and smash Rick's hands off. Nice. It was pretty, pretty severe punishment. Uh, but Rick stares Negan in the eye and he reminds him that he is going to kill him. It's the same speech or a very similar speech from the season premiere. But this time, Rick just, you can just feel he means it even more this time. I thought there was a subtle difference in the way Andrew Lincoln delivered these lines that I really, really liked. You know, we have, we have a whole season of what's happened now behind him. And I just felt like Rick didn't understand things in the season premiere, and now he does. And he's still saying this, and he really means it. Yeah. I thought it was great. Uh, Negan, I think, clues into this, too. Because Jeffrey Dean Morgan, as Negan, sits there staring at Rick for a long time with a concerned look on his face before he starts to smile. And I thought that was another great scene, too, because you could just see what was going through Negan's mind, like... Oh my God, this guy might be serious. You know, he, yeah. he, he might mean what he says this time, but of course Negan's Negan. So he needs to come back with a flash, a big smile. Yeah. Well, he's got to, he's got to be theatrical, right? Can't just let that go. No, no, he definitely can't. So Negan stands up, he gets behind Carl. He winds up, goes to swing the bat, but before he hits a tiger, comes out of nowhere and takes out a savior behind him. Yeah. Tigers are very sneaky when they need to be. Well, they are. Tigers are sneaky. If there was a oh, tiger. Yeah, they're cats. If there was a tiger sneaking up behind you right now, you wouldn't know. No, I wouldn't until it was way too late. It would. It would be way too late. <laughs> How many people do you think were around there that the tiger had to sneak through to get to that particular person? Listen, I am willing to suspend my disbelief. All right. Because it was amazing. The See, tiger looked awesome. Seeing in this the scene. tiger looked awesome. And I was totally suckered in by this somewhat improbable scene because I was so excited to see the tiger take somebody out and what it meant. Because obviously it means that the kingdom has arrived and they are going to join the fight. And then immediately yeah. following that, the hilltop arrives, led by Maggie, and they have joined the fight. And the battle resumes, basically. Battle of five armies. Hooray! It's just <laughs> like the Hobbit. It was, 
It was awesome. It was amazing. We see Negan. He's taking cover. He's shooting back. And he says, a goddamn tiger. (laughs) (laughs) Which was amazing. And then he sees Maggie and he delivers what is kind of a bizarre line. But again, I liked it. He says, that widow is alive. Guns a blazing. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, not like that, but. I and then his cool. uh, submachine gun with a silencer and a scope runs out of bullets. Uh, it's like, yeah. It's, it's a ridiculous weapon he had. Just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, well, we'll get into that a little later. I think there's a holy crap about that. Uh, Rick and Morgan, who are, you know, they come together and they have a nod moment. And what I mean by that is they see each other, look at each other, nod, and continue fighting. <laughs> right. It was, sorry, it was an Uzi. I just got a shot of it. He had an Uzi with a silencer. And a scope. Uzi with a scope is even more ridiculous than a submachine gun in general with a scope. Uzi is meant to just spray bullets in a confined area uh, willy-nilly. Like, you're not really supposed to aim an Uzi. You just pull the trigger and, uh, you know, fire and forget. That's wonderful that they make guns out there that you're just not supposed to aim. No, you're not supposed to aim. (laughs) Yeah, it's... No, it's, it's just meant to spray bullets into a room. Yeah, I and that doesn't make me feel good. <laughs> no, it's horrible, but yeah. putting a scope on it is just stupid. It's just ridiculous. All right. Well, after their nod moment, we see Jadis, and she signals one of her men to shoot a flare up into the sky, and then they throw a bunch of smoke bombs. Yeah, and it, it's, smoke. Is this just so they can escape? Like Yes, yeah, smoke screen. Smoke screen. Right, it's okay. literally a smoke screen. Got it. What's the flare for? Are they signaling something? Yeah, pop smoke. Get out of here. Oh, they're signaling themselves to like retreat. Yeah, Yeah, just this is a retreat. Let's go. Okay. Makes sense to me. Uh, The Alexandrians kind of regroup and they go after them with the hilltop and the kingdom people, of course. They're shooting at a truck as it drives away and Negan is hanging his arm out the window, giving everyone the finger. Yeah. I thought that was a bit ridiculous, but. No way. It was awesome. It's theatrical Negan again. Uh, I mean, it's a, you know. Everybody's aim in this was absolutely horrendous, but that's okay because they're all civilians, right? Yeah, for the Nobody's most part. a professional. Uh, so that's fine. Uh, they're driving a military-grade vehicle, so it's meant to take bullets, right? The uh, It's a deuce and a half. I think it was a deuce and a half. It looked like a deuce and a half. But uh, it has, uh, you know, tires that are meant to take a bullet every now and again without stopping. The yep. engine won't stop yep. from small arms fire. I mean, you might hit somebody in the cab because it's not an armored vehicle, but everybody's aim is so bad in this that nobody seems to get hit. No. At all. Maybe Rosita was the only one who got shot other than, you know, a bunch of red shirts. But uh, yeah, no, that uh, that vehicle driving away without anybody being killed inside of it was perfectly okay with me. And uh, Negan sticking his finger out the window was awesome. Was what? Sticking his finger out the window? Yeah. Was awesome. Okay. I don't know. I was sort of like, at this point, he probably just wants to get away and he doesn't need to give them the finger. And I'm not sure you'd want to hang your arm out the window and risk your arm getting shot. Ah, it's cool. It was cool. Okay, fine. It was cool. I, the, the only thing better that he could have done was yell, assholes! I'm glad that didn't happen. I'm not, because I think, uh, go watch A Fish Called Wanda again. I've seen that a number of times. Yeah, it's, uh, he keeps driving, every time he drives, he hits stuff and he yells, assholes! Out the window, it's awesome. <laughs> funny it's a running stuff. gag, it's funny. Well, what's not so funny is that Carl and Rick get to the building where the person fell off the balcony and they get up there and realize that, of course, it wasn't Michonne, but she is in really rough shape. She is very badly beaten, but she's alive. Yeah. And they're both very happy about this. 
After a commercial break, we come back and we are at the sanctuary. We have Negan, Simon, Dwight, and Eugene. And they... Pardon me? And Lucille. Of course, Lucille directing everyone. And uh, everybody is... um, They're walking out onto sort of a, a balcony. And Negan asks Eugene how Sasha died. You know, why was she dead in there? And... Eugene's answer, quite quickly, is she ran out of air. That sounds perfectly reasonable to me. Yeah, but Negan says maybe, and doesn't he doesn't seem convinced. Well, it depends on whether maybe Negan put in a you know speed holes to make things go faster, which would allow air in. Well, that's an interesting idea. Were there any holes? I didn't see any in the coffin. I assume that this is a what an old coffin. I. Uh, I'm not sure how to what to make of it, but maybe it was a non properly sealed coffin that had uh, gaps in it. But whatever, she was she died. You know, maybe the pill didn't kill her. Maybe the pill was bogus and she ran out of air. Well, that's what Eugene says because he's trying to cover his ass, and I think it's a perfectly valid explanation. But I do think the the seeds of doubt have been planted in Negan, and he doesn't quite hundred percent trust Eugene anymore. If he did ever, really. That's true. Well, Negan, they walk out onto this balcony overlooking a lot of his people, and he yells to them, we are going to war. Hooray! So, war is going to start in season eight, I guess. We um, we go back over to the other group of people, and uh, they're patrolling around. Maggie and Rick are voiceovering a conversation. Maggie and Jesus come to zombie Sasha in the woods, I guess, who's still wandering around. He knocks her down, and then Maggie comes over to kill her, put a knife through her head. Maggie's also talking about how they were strangers, but they have come to mean everything to each other. She refers all the way back to the beginning of the show when Glenn saves Rick in that tank in Atlanta, and how they've been through Atlanta, the farm, the prison, to here. And she says that they're not strangers, they are family. And this kind of is related to what Abraham and and Sasha were talking about in their flashback scenes about, you know, how we are all part of a family here and we help each other and this is why we do it for the people. Because we're all Negan. I mean, uh, the good guys. (laughs) We are all not Negan. (laughs) Right. We just are Negan in a different, better way. A different Negan. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, We see Daryl and he closes the gate and on the ground he finds a carved wooden figurine with the words didn't know written on it. So this is one of Dwight's figures and he left this message that he didn't know that, you know, everything was about the double cross and everything was going to go down shit creek here. Oh, so Dwight is a good guy. Dwight is a good guy. Or at least he's still pretending to be a good guy. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's the double-double cross. It's kind of... Well, not really. He's just saying, look, I tried to help, but I didn't know that the scavengers were going to double-cross you. So the plan didn't really work out, but I'm still on your side. Now Dwight really is working from the inside of the saviors. I don't know. I think he's a triple agent. No, he's not. Come on. He's on their side now. And I don't know. I think that's what's going to happen. I don't trust him. Well, okay, fair enough. You don't really have too much reason to trust him. Uh, we see Rosita, Michonne, they're recovering in bed. And uh, we hear Maggie say, when Glenn decided to help you a long time ago, meaning Rick, that was the decision that changed everything. 
So that's when all of this started and made them the good guys, sort of. We see Maggie and Sasha sitting on that log again, and it turns out they're watching the sunset. Ah. So let me ask you a question. Yes. Yeah. This, this scenes with her and Maggie sitting there, was Sasha imagining this or did this really happen? <sighs> or was that like the vision she was getting while she was dying or something like that? You know, she had this pleasant vision of her and her friend sitting there and she's about to like go towards the light, which was the sunset. I think it's metaphorical. I think it was metaphorical too. Yeah. I don't necessarily know it was a a real thing, but it could have been. I mean, at some point in the past, they could have sat on a log and watched the sunset. Yeah. But I think, I think the conversation between her and Abraham was real. I think that really happened. Oh, that was real. This, just the sitting on the log sunset thing was metaphorical. That's right. I think the sunset sitting was metaphorical and because they don't need both to be real. One is her thinking back to this conversation we she had with him and it kind of informs her decision to do what she's about to do by sacrificing herself. And the sunset thing was her like death vision or what her brain was, you know, feeding her as she was dying. That's what I think anyways. And I think it was pretty nice. Yeah. Pretty, pretty beautiful thing. Uh, we see... You know, just at the end here, we got Rick, Ezekiel, and Maggie. They're standing on a platform in Alexandria addressing their people. So these are the three clear leaders now. These three, Maggie has stepped up. And, you know, Maggie says, Glenn made the decision to fight for each other. I was just following his lead. And as she says this, the camera pans down to the watch in her hand. and We cut to black. On an hour and 25-minute episode. Jason... Season finale, season seven. I've had some issues with season seven. Um, and I'll tell you what I think of this finale in a second. But you go first. What What did you think? This is how a season is supposed to end. This is, uh, I liked it. I thought uh, we got some action. I didn't necessarily think we were going to get some action. But uh, we got some action. We got uh, the Battle of Five Armies, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, you know, nobody other than, you know, People leaving for various Star Trek uh, series have uh, left the show. Uh, but, you know, everybody else survived of note. Uh, I did note that there was one guy lying on the ground that was dead that uh, literally had a red shirt. Yeah, I noticed that too. <laughs> <laughs> thought that was funny. Yeah. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, we had action, we had character development, we had uh, uh, good acting, and the story took us to a place where we're geared up for the next season. It's not a cliffhanger, but it is anticipatory of the next season, and I am very much anticipating the next season instead of being pissed off that they didn't give us uh, enough to be interested in the next season. They, I, Anyway, the last season uh, finale sucked. This one was good. So when Chandler tweeted that this is almost the complete opposite from last year's, he wasn't lying. He may not have meant what he said, but he kind of meant what he said. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I did. Uh, that makes perfect no, sense to me. He, sorry. He's not lying. He he didn't say what he meant, but he meant what he said. Yes. Is what I was trying to say. Well, my God, man, I think they nailed this season finale. This was the best episode of season seven. It was one of the best season finales they've done. And I am so, so happy to be saying that right now, to be honest, because I was worried that we were going to fizzle out this season and it would be a depressing end to what I thought was not an amazing season of this show. So I'm super happy that they nailed it. 
Um, as you were saying, I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. I thought this episode was like tense and emotional. It had me guessing. I didn't figure everything out, you know, right off the bat. And I just liked it more than anyone in a while. And I think they saved the best for last here. Yeah, I, I agree. And it actually had me uh, nervous. Uh, I was worried about uh, Stephen Ogg leaving the show. And uh, I had a genuine fear and was genuinely uh, uh, nervous and uh, worried. Everybody else I felt was safe. Mm-hmm. You know, except for Sasha, because I, like we had talked about, she's leaving for Star Trek. But uh, yeah, I was wor- legitimately worried for Stephen Ogg. I thought Sasha went out in a in a great, way like it, it was a good way it, I, I agree with that we was, haven't seen and we we're just talking about we haven't seen a major character uh become a zombie in quite some time in a long time well now we do you know and she went out kind of as a hero it may have been a somewhat unlikely plan but i didn't care because everything else about this episode was so so good um i thought it was amazing to see abraham again you know, he, think about it, he was killed in the season premiere and he comes back in the season finale and their conversation, I just felt added so much to everything that happened about having her have a moment of kind of weakness where she's like, do we really have to do this? Do we, can't we just look out for ourselves for once? And then he convinces her that that's not how they do things. That's not the way they work. And that informs everything she's done since then and including what she did right here at the end. You know, by taking that pill, knowing that she would be the surprise that nobody's expecting and that would give everybody a chance to, to, uh, I don't know, just do something. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So I thought that was amazing. Um, and I started thinking about it. The whole season in a way kind of came full circle. You know, they, in this episode, they take us back to just before they leave to get Maggie to the hilltop They have Rick tell Negan the same thing about killing him, but Rick did it with so much more confidence this time, which I thought was amazing. And I can understand that, and I haven't seen this out there yet, but I'm sure there are people out there thinking, what was the point of this whole season if we're just back to where we started at the beginning with characters on their knees, Negan about to club somebody and Rick telling Negan he's going to kill him. Um, But I think that... A lot of what season seven did, other than make Negan a little bit cartoony and ridiculous, I think what it also did is it established him as an just absolutely terrible human being and somebody that, you know, after Rick hit rock bottom and now they're giving him the chance to, and the strength to rise back up again, Negan is a guy that Rick really, really needs to get rid of. right and that was that was kind of what this season was about it was it was establishing negan as a terrible guy and tearing rick down to nothing so that he could get back up and uh deal with this terrible guy yep and i think next season we're gonna get to deal with this terrible guy i think they should get the f out of alexandria because that's just a negan magnet at this point so they need to uh they need to go guerrilla tactics well, they're, they're going to war. I mean, both sides understand now. Negan can't just show up and and try to swagger all over the place and intimidate yeah. people. He has to show up there ready for a fight now. There's no question anymore. So he knows he has to do that. Rick knows they have to be ready for that. And to be honest, there's two sides in every war, <laughs> right? At uh, least. At least. Negan knows that he can't, he can't just sit pretty 
in the sanctuary anymore. He has to be ready for an attack potentially. So not only, you know, he has to be on the defensive and the offensive, and that is a whole different thing that he's never experienced before. Yeah. So. I no, think- and I, I think the Alexandrians with the hilltop and the uh, ocean side and the kingdom, they all have to abandon, uh, abandon where they are. Because they can't, they can't stay in those silos anymore. Because they, uh, I mean, sure they could go in, into a siege, but uh, I think Negan has the firepower and the manpower to overtake any of those individual um, fortresses. You know, because they have walls. You know, generally they have you know walls. But uh, so I think they need to go to ground somewhere else. Don't you think if they all moved in together at one of the locations, though, they'd they might be able to defend it because they're all in one place. Uh, you know, for half an hour or so, maybe. I mean, you take take a uh, a clay pot and you fill it with uh, oil. You light it on fire and you throw it over the fence. Do that four hundred times. Who cares? Well, uh, you're yeah. just going to light the whole place on fire and everybody's going to die. Okay, so you're saying they have to find somewhere else to fortify and protect. Or, you know, go to ground somewhere else to hide and then go out and do guerrilla tactics, you know, little raids and stuff and such. They can't, you know, uh, you know, getting into a siege, I think is a mistake going to battle in the middle of a field, uh, you know, just two armies going against each other is a mistake. They need to, they need to go to ground and, uh, you know, do guerrilla tactics. They have to be Rambo. Be clever about it. Yeah. They have to find a nice mine shaft, hide out in there. And, uh, you know, they drew first blood. So Rambo's going to come back with uh, machine guns. All right. Well, that that kind of makes a a bit of sense. I'm not sure they're actually going to leave Alexandria, but uh, if nothing else, they're going to team up and the war is on. And I think season eight, a big portion of it is going to be this war. I don't know if the whole thing will be or if just the first half, but we will find out starting next October. So I'm going to be pissed if it's one episode. I don't think it'll no, be one episode. I don't think yeah. so. I really I'm just saying don't. that. I'm going to be pissed. All right. For the record, Jason. Because that's what happened with uh, Terminus, right? We're like, oh my God, they're in Terminus. They're going to have to find out what's going on. They're stuck in this uh, this train car, whatever is going to happen. And then before you know it, they're all in the middle of the woods. Like, well, Jesus Christ. You know? <laughs> that was fast. <laughs> that was yeah. nothing. Well, that's not going to happen. I am confident that it's not going to resolve in the first episode. I think it will be the first eight episodes of season eight. See, I want to, I want to see Ninja Jesus go and do stuff in the middle of the night, right? Like wearing a balaclava and black pajamas and, you know, doing, doing oh. flips and stuff and then ending up on the roof of things and then dropping down like uh, uh, Ezio, what's his name from Assassin's Creed uh-huh. from like way up high and like jabbing a knife in the top of somebody's head. He's going to do wanna, that. I want to see some shit. I don't want to see, you know, two armies standing on either side of a field shooting guns at each other and missing and, you know, splintering all the uh, the walls and such and nobody getting hit. Well, I don't think you will. I I think it will be, I think it'll all play out in a clever way. I think there will be plenty of battle time and Jesus will do some cool stuff, I bet. Yeah. Well, if I can just say before we move on, there was one or two things that I didn't think was great in this episode. Uh, even though overall I thought it was pretty amazing. Um, I didn't think the big battle was choreographed all that well or maybe edited all that well, to be honest. After a while, I did kind of start to lose track of who's who and who's doing what and where everybody is and and stuff like that. Um, I don't think that's a huge deal, but it did 
bug me a little bit, and it wasn't any better on the second viewing either. Uh, it made sense to me. Well, that's the problem. It, the whole battle didn't quite make sense to me because there were too many groups or too many people involved. Um, and like, you know, the hilltop, I mean, the, the kingdom is supposed to have all these people, but how many showed up? Like 20. 10? No, well, that's what uh, Dwight said, right? 20. Did he? He's showing up tomorrow with 20 saviors. The saviors. I'm talking about the, the kingdom, dude. How many oh, kingdom hilltop. people showed up? Not many. Seven. Yeah. Where are all these fighters they had? And a tiger. Okay. Oh my God. A tiger. Fair enough. I mean, just the, uh, the morale factor of that or the, you know, the shock and awe of, holy shit, they have a tiger. Uh, no, it's a big deal, but I don't know. I don't think enough people showed up and I thought the battle was a little bit confusing and then no Heath. And I know Heath isn't probably ever coming back. I think they're just going to ghost that guy off the show and that'll be that. Um, but I, I don't know. I kind of wish Heath, the Heath mystery had been dealt with this season. Even if they just yeah. said they found his body somewhere, you know? So Well, yeah, dying off screen sucks. So hopefully they bring back Heath next season for at least an episode or two so he can die heroically. I, I hope so. Anyways, overall, fantastic season finale. So much better than last year. I am so relieved, and this is just how you do it. So Walking Dead... Do more of this, please. More yeah, of this. Do more. And the music. I really enjoyed the music. It was very um uh 80s Terminator. Yeah. Like it was it was I think that was Gail Ann Hurd. I'm like, yeah, Gail Ann Hurd picked the music. That was awesome. Well, Bear McCreary composes it all, but maybe I know, she gave but her Gail Ann Hurd was part of uh, Terminator and uh I think she uh it was very reminiscent of that. I liked that kind of um you know, I like the eighties as far as retro music goes. Oh yeah. So, you know, eighties, uh, action movie synth music, thumbs up from Jason. Yeah. Good stuff. I liked it too. And McCreary has been doing a little bit more of that lately. I feel like I've heard this kind of trend going through season seven with this style of music that he's been doing. So it works. I think it's pretty good. I think so too. All right. We've got lots more to come after our break, including an announcement about our record your favorite scene contest. And of course your holy crap moments. So stay with us. Rising up, back on the street, did my time, took my chances, went the distance, now I'm back on my feet, just a man and his will to survive. Sometimes it seems it happens so fast, you change your passion for the glory, don't give up. On the dreams of the past You must fight to keep them alive And it's the eye of the Chagas Thrill of the fight Rising up to the challenge of our rivals and the last known survivor Stalks his prey in the night He's watching us out with the eye of Tiger This episode is brought to you by Gato Negro Wines. It's the perfect wine pairing for your favorite TV shows, including The Walking Dead. Now, Jason, The Walking Dead is over for season seven, but that doesn't mean you have to stop drinking Gato Negro when you watch TV. I watch other shows. Other shows, other great shows, other horror shows, comedy shows, whatever you want. And of course, The Walking Dead will be back for season eight in October for a big war. And what do you need during war? A nice glass of wine. 
<laughs> yeah, if you can if you can manage it, that's awesome. It's it's really great. So uh, we thank Gato Negro uh, a great deal for you know helping uh, sponsor the show for the second half of season seven. If you'd like to find out more, follow Gato Negro on Instagram username Gato Negro Wine or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Gato Negro Wine. You can sip the terror of your favorite TV series with Gato Negro Wines. Gato Negro adored everywhere. Went the distance now I'm not gonna stop Just a man and his will to survive And it's the eye of the tiger It's the thrill of the fight Rising up to the challenge of our All right, uh, Jason, we're back, and we got a few things to do before we get into the holy crap moments for this episode. The first thing to do, which we haven't done in a little while, is talk about our some of our Patreon supporters. We've got a few new people that we want to thank. Cool. Starting off with Ellie P. Thank you so much, Ellie, for uh, pledging um, some of your hard-earned cash at talking uh, patreon.com slash thetalkingdead. And Ellie pledged at a level that allows her to make a shout out on the show. So I'm going to read her note here. Ellie wrote, can I please get a shout out to my amazing husband, Adam, who is just a truly wonderful person and also puts up with all my running commentary and holy fucking shits as we watch The Walking (laughs) Dead together without complaining. Could I also be cheeky and ask for a second one to all the other podcast listeners? I really enjoy their emails and recordings. So, so entertaining and interesting to hear. That's awesome. So there you go. Um, Ellie, thank you so much. Thank you to her amazing husband, Adam, and, you know, to all the podcast listeners. Uh, That's wonderful. I also want to say a big thank you to Eileen G, Kurt H, and Doug S., for supporting us on Patreon. If you would like to join that exclusive club, please visit patreon.com slash the talking dead, where you can make a small monthly pledge to help us with uh, the cost of putting on this show. All right. Um, something else I want to talk about here. Now, Jason, this is a serious subject. Uh, we have a listener, Gretchen in Westchester, Pennsylvania, who wrote in an email to us asking if we would make a quick mention of a cause that she's involved with. And I'll first read part of her email here. She says, Two years ago, a few days before Christmas, I had a really bad headache and told my 12-year-old daughter I was taking a nap. Less than an hour later, I had the worst pain in my life, sorry, the worst pain in my head in my life and was unable to speak, call for help, or even move. My daughter called 911 and I began breathing funny. My child saved my life. I was a smoker, I had been treated for high blood pressure, and I had a family history of aneurysms, even though I didn't know it. Had I even known what an aneurysm was, I would have known to seek medical attention right away. Many people don't survive an aneurysm, others have severe brain damage, I am one of the lucky ones. I want to help others by bringing awareness so people can hopefully avoid what has happened to me and my family. So Gretchen asked if we would be okay with just mentioning this because March 29th, 2017, which unfortunately we missed at this point, it was a few days ago as we record this, that was aneurysm advocacy day. And Gretchen was traveling to Washington to speak with her state congressman about, you know, more money for research and uh, support of people who are at risk or who have had this kind of brain aneurysm. 
And uh, I decided, you know, and we decided that we would we would be happy to do that because uh, because of Gretchen's story. So um, I can just say that I I hope Gretchen's trip to Washington went really well. I haven't heard from her since uh, since this original email, but I am sure it did. And she wanted everyone to know about the Brain Aneurysm Foundation, where you can make a donation if you want to help support this really good cause. You can do that at bafound.org, B-A-F-O-U-N-D.org, where you can uh, make a donation. So, um, yeah, so that's that. Thanks, Gretchen, for sending that in, and uh, hopefully we can help a little bit spread or help help a little help to spread a little bit of awareness about this sorts of thing. And boy, am am I ever glad that you're okay after that uh, ordeal? Yeah, no kidding. Thanks, Gretchen. So, all right, moving on into uh, the record your favorite scene contest. Now that season seven is officially over, I want to let everyone know that our actual official deadline for entries will be next Monday, April tenth at eleven fifty nine p.m. Eastern time. So from right now, that's about a week to get final entries in. And hopefully there's something in the season finale that maybe people want to record and send our way. That would be cool. And we are going to add a new prize, a final prize to the pack. I like new prizes. Yes, you do. And this is a cool one. So a number of months ago, friend of the show, Carl, who was one of our very first listeners all those years ago, let me know that he was making a short film, a short zombie film called Still. And that movie is now complete and I've seen it and it's awesome. So Carl wanted to include a digital download and a DVD copy of the movie in our prize pack, which I was more than happy to accommodate. So that will be added to the prize if you are the winner you'll get, you know, the ability to watch that, download it. And uh, that's pretty exclusive right now because it's kind of making the rounds at festivals and stuff like that, but it's not really, um, uh, it hasn't really, really been available until now, which is pretty cool. Um, but if you do want a copy of it, and I highly recommend you go check it out, you can go to vimeo.com slash on demand slash zom short still. That's Z-O-M-S-H-O-R-T-S-T-I-L-L, where you can actually buy it right now. So <laughs> I guess it's not that exclusive, but it is out there. <laughs> you can buy it. It's not expensive. And if you use the promo code TALKINGDEAD, you will get 50 cents off the price, which when you see the price, that's a pretty significant discount. Yeah, that's two quarters. That's awesome. Yes. Um, so... Uh, yeah, so check that out. Vimeo.com slash on demand slash Zom short still and use the promo code talking dead if you want to get a copy of the movie. You can watch a trailer there, of course. It's a really neat, cool idea for a short zombie film and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. So check that out. But it's also in uh, the prize pack for our record your favorite scene contest, which we will be accepting deadlines until April 10th at 11.59 p.m. The winner will Entries. be... Uh, what did I say? Deadlines. You said we'll be accepting deadlines. The deadline... We will not be accepting any deadlines other than the one we've already dictated. Right. The, we will be accepting entries, and the deadline is Monday, April 10th at 11.59. The winner will be announced on a podcast we record on Monday, April 17th, so the following Monday, 
which is Easter Monday, I think. So maybe somebody's Easter will be made even better by winning our prize, winning the contest. Yeah. You're going to throw any chocolates in just Uh, because it's Easter? No, probably not. Probably not. But there's a lot of good stuff in there anyways. So uh, that's that. Um, Get those final entries in. Hopefully there's something in the season finale that, uh, you know, triggered some ideas or something, and we'll get a few more entries before, uh, before the deadline in a week. All right. Now, finally, it's time to get on to this. Holy crap. Did you see that? All righty. Holy crap. Did you see that? Now, I want to remind everyone that we generally get a ton of extra feedback for season finales. So I've included a bunch here. Uh, please don't be upset if, if yours didn't make it. We will, of course, be doing our feedback show on Thursday. So lots more will be included then. Um, but, uh, it's sometimes even difficult to get through all of the emails we get in the short, uh, time we have, but I definitely get to them eventually and include as much as I can. So our first holy crap here comes from Ed in Akron, Ohio. Hey, Chris. Hey, Jason. This is Ed from Akron, Ohio, calling in with my holy cow. Did you see that moment? I actually have two tonight. One is holy cow. Michonne gets her face bashed in. And loses not one tooth. And then the other one is, holy cow, King Ezekiel actually goes all Braveheart with his trusty sword by his side. Well, thanks again, guys. I love the podcast and can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about the season finale. Cool. Thanks, Ed. So, um, yeah, I think if you get your face smashed into the ground, losing teeth is a pretty good possibility. Well, I would assume so. Broken, broken nose, chipped tooth bit tongue <laughs> yeah exactly you're probably gonna bite your tongue or something yeah um, that's pretty significant i watch a lot of hockey jason and it you know it doesn't seem like it's that hard to lose teeth when you get hit in the mouth and smashing your face into the ground seems like a good way to do that so uh maybe michonne will come back in season eight and have like two front teeth missing or something that'd be cool it would you be know how you, <laughs> pretty bad you know what they used to do to uh uh, to get false teeth way back when? Uh, make them out of wood and screw them into your jaw? Nope. Use somebody else's. Like a dead person's teeth? Like a dead person's tooth or whatever. Just find a tooth, stick it in, away you go. Oh, God. All right. Well, <laughs> Michonne could be in need of some dental work. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Maybe she can wear a uh, a dental patch, much like uh, Carl's eye patch. She'd just wear a patch over her missing teeth. <laughs> weird that is extremely weird <laughs> next call comes from chris in new orleans hi this is chris from new orleans and holy crap did you see that how good the tiger looked in this episode yes we did the tiger looked amazing it was they blew their whole tiger budget on this uh this one episode i think they their did. whole animal insert budget like remember that deer good lord oh that's right the deer looked so awful so that the tiger today could look really good well money well spent now in, you know, I complained about that deer, but in retrospect, I think it was better to put the money into the tiger right here. Yeah. It was, you know, they had a budget for inserting animals into the season and they decided to spend uh, a significant portion of that budget on this episode, which is wise. Which is the right call. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Chris, for pointing that out. Next up is Miles in San Francisco. Holy crap. Who brings a sword and a tiger to a gunfight? Well, it <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> The king does. The king 
brings a sword and a tiger. Exactly. So there you go. Uh, email from Sally on the internet. Sally writes, holy crap, there are now at least five people I want to see die badly. Negan, Simon, Arat, Jadis, and pretty much all those people from the junkyard. So by five, I mean like 95, I guess. <laughs> those garbage people have to die. Except for Simon. We don't want Simon to die. No, not he's not a garbage person. He's Stephen Ogg. He does not die. He will always be in my heart. I know, but Simon was on her list. Are you even paying attention? I'm paying attention. Okay. I, you know, but I, I'm just, I'm talking about the garbage people. All right. No, Simon, no. Simon, no. Simon stays. He, Ian, uh, Ian, I mean, Jason (laughs) chose to block that out when I said it. (laughs) Oddly enough, my name was Ian for the first two months of my life before they changed it to Jason. Really? Yeah. Did I know that? I don't know, but that was weird. Yeah, absolutely. It was Ian for the first couple of months of my life. Ian Miles. That sounds pretty yeah. good. Yeah, that's not bad. Are you Jason? I prefer Jason, but whatever. Well, you're just used to it. If you were Ian now, you'd probably say you prefer Ian. Well, I've known some people named Ian. They're all garbage people. I know. The ones g- I know. I know all Ians, just the ones I've met. Sure. I know an Ian. He's a good dude. Um, oh, are- except for him. Yeah, I forgot about him. Right. Are you Jason <laughs> Ian Miles? No, Michael. Jason Michael Miles. Yeah. Mike Miles. I don't know why you don't go by Mike Miles. I don't know. Sounds amazing. Anyway, It's never come up. <laughs> well, it just did. So from now on, at the beginning oh, of the show, right. and I'm Michael. I'm Mike Miles. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, Noop J on the internet writes, holy crap. So you're telling me that the morons who can't even form a sentence properly know how to disarm a truck bomb? But in all seriousness, I did love the finale. I assume so. Did we? I mean, what? Oh, I'm just thinking that... Uh... Uh, she can't be the only one that knows how to defuse a bomb. There's got to be other people out there that knows how to know how to defuse bombs. Rosita, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, sure, but Rosita was setting the bomb. So did we see anyone sabotage it? We did not. No. And we, it has to have been sabotaged by the scavengers. So one of them, at some point, when somebody, you know, left to take a leak or something who was guarding the truck bomb... One of the scavengers snuck in and cut a wire or something, I guess. Who do you think provided Rosita with the remote control? The garbage people? The scavengers. Like, here, use this remote control to set off the bomb. Interesting. And they had a remote control for her remote control to turn it off. No, I don't think so. <laughs> it's, But it did just occur to me that, you know, a remote control bomb ignition switch, <laughs> it's not really the kind of thing you can test very well. So well, you, you can test that the remote control works, right? Like you just yeah. go click and the little light comes on. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. It all works, you know, and then you wire everything up and then when you go to click it again, it doesn't work. So that's why I think that they need a remote control for Rosita's remote control so that when they hold the button down on their secret pocketed remote control, her remote control works. But when they let go, her remote control doesn't work. Interesting. That's what I would have done. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, now a lot of people mentioned this next one but i decided to read this one from romando on the internet holy crap did you see jadis trying to negotiate some last minute rick dick not cool (laughs) (laughs) yeah i just like the rick dick yep uh faisal from saturn wrote holy crap that moment when thomas wayne screamed the widow is back guns a blazing when we see martha wayne in alexandria and about the garbage people leader, she didn't even have to lay with Rick to fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So I thought that was very clever. Um, Thomas Wayne, 
was played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Martha Wayne was played by Lauren Cohan. And right. that were the references there, in case anyone missed that. Nice. Nicely uh, done. Yeah, very good. Jack in rainy England writes, Holy crap, did you see yet another major gunshot wound for Rick Grimes? And he's fine. But the moment a lesser character is nicked by a bullet, they bleed out. Just look at that kid from the kingdom a couple of weeks ago. I call plot device shield there. So uh, what's his name from the kingdom got shot in the leg and there's a major artery in there. Uh, Rick got shot in the, uh, uh, in the six pack or, you know, the love handles or wherever that was. Yeah. That's a, that could be a through and through and it would take a long time for that, that kind of wound to bleed out. Well, here's what I think. You're right about Ben. He got shot in the leg, major artery. He was in bad shape from the moment that bullet hit him. Yeah. Rick, I, I really think Rick just got grazed. I don't even think the bullet oh, went, it went in. It went in. You think so? Yeah, it did. It was a through and through. Like it, there's no bones in there because it's in your stomach. It just went through. I mean, sure, it blew through a bunch of intestines. And if he doesn't get it looked at immediately, he's going to get sepsis and uh, he's going to die. No. But. Uh, I think it was a through and through, and uh, I think with modern medical technology in a current ER, it's a survivable wound. I agree with you, but I don't think it's even that bad. I think what you said before, where he got hit in the love handle, like I think he just got, if it went in and came out the back, that's fine, but I think it was right at the edge of his body. It went through the fat, fatty section there. I don't think it went through any organs I mean, if it did, he'd be dead for sure. Come on. If it, if it went through his intestines, it would screw up his whole, you know, everything. It would screw up everything if it went through. So I think- want to take a look. Yeah, go take a look. But I think it just hit him in the very edge of his body, tore off some flesh on the side. It would take a long time to bleed out. Um, but I think he's mostly okay, but probably in a lot of pain. So that's that's how I think the only way you can explain him- surviving that and being able to like move around. Although if I was, you know, if I had a bullet tear off part of my love handle, I'm not sure I'd be able to get up after that. Well, yeah, you know, my love handle is a lot bigger than Rick's, right? So, you know, going into my love handles is a a significant wound. Sure. Rick does not have a lot going on down there. So I think it just tore off a bit of flesh on the side and he'll be fine. That's how I- Oh yeah, it's, it's, you know, he'll walk it off. I'm not worried about that, but I'm just, I think that it did- no, the bullet did enter his body and then probably exited his body with a bigger hole than going in. Right. Well. Depending on the, you know, the round that she used. All right. Well, maybe. At one point, Jadis like pokes him in the wound too, which obviously would hurt a lot. So. Well, that's what you do when you shoot somebody uh, just to wound them and then you want them to do something. You kick him in the gunshot. <laughs> yes. Well, it, it's going to hurt the most right there at that moment. Yeah, so why not? Exactly. Uh, All right, Sarah in Iowa writes, holy crap, did you see how Carl was the one to take advantage of the situation that zombie Sasha created? Yeah, Carl. And we did, and that was amazing. That is amazing. Uh, Beth in Kansas writes, holy crap, did you hear that? I screamed out loud when Shiva jumped into the fight. So lots of people were cool about Shiva. Laura in Montreal writes also, my holy crap, did you see that moment? Uh, my holy crap, did you see that moment was, of course, Sasha flying out of nowhere and attacking one of the saviors. I usually hate the whole saved in the nick of time trope, but as soon as I saw the tiger, I couldn't help but throw my hands up in the air and shout, yes, Shiva. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was cool. And then Kim in Toronto 
brings up an interesting point. Kim writes, holy crap, did you see how Shiva knew to only attack the bad guys? Clearly, King Ezekiel played to Shiva's cat instincts and used a laser pointer to set up the targets. Oh, yeah, laser-targeted tiger. That's an awesome idea. Well, I mean, how else would Shiva know who to eat and who not to eat unless there was a little laser dot on the people? Well, you know, Shiva's trained, obviously. Uh, You know, she was walking in the midst of all those people and doesn't eat them, so... Uh, the tiger obviously eats who King Ezekiel points at with the laser pointer or not, but uh, laser pointer is a fantastic idea. Laser guided tiger. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's a movie right there. <laughs> oh yeah. If tigers they, with freaking lasers. No, if they can make Sharknado, they can make laser guided tigers. And if someone isn't yeah. working on that right now, I'm going to be disappointed. I'm going to start working on a screenplay when we finish this podcast. Amazing. All right. Uh, Johan from Sweden writes, holy crap, didn't Negan's gun remind you of Boba Fett's EE3 blaster from Empire Strikes Back? The one he is shooting after Shiva seems to ignore him in the season finale. <laughs> oh, uh, God, uh, that bla- the blaster was much better than this stupid Uzi with a silencer and a scope. Okay, well, the next one comes from Tim in Indian Trail, North Carolina. And Tim writes, holy crap, did you see the tribute to Escape from New York and Snake Plissken right after Shiva makes her appearance and JDM goes running off ducking behind cars? He picks up a Mac-10 with a suppressor and a freaking rifle scope mounted to the suppressor. The only other time I have seen that ridiculous and impractical setup is in Escape from New York. And okay, so I, Mac-10, fine. No, I got the wrong, you know, machine pistol or submachine gun. That's fine. Uh, okay, yes, ridiculous, yes. Uh, Snake Plissken m- makes it okay. Also a little <laughs> bit ridiculous, but makes it okay, yeah. Well, the whole Escape from New York thing uh, is a ridiculous premise. Like, walling off New York. It's like a, the largest, second largest city in the whole friggin' planet. You're going to wall it off and make it a prison? I don't think so. Okay. You're going to wall off, like, uh, the northern peninsula of... Uh, Michigan before you'd wall off Manhattan. <laughs> okay, but that has nothing to do with the weapon. And I think Tim sent a picture into from Escape from New York and from Negan's gun, and it's exactly the freaking same. So it's clearly some kind of homage to yeah. Escape from New York. But Which is why I'm doing a total reversal on my uh, thinking that's ridiculous and the stupid gun. Since Snake Plissken held it, it's fine. Well, it is kind of ridiculous, but it's better now. Exactly. All right, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. Okay. I'm good. Uh, Michael on the internet writes, holy crap. The minute Negan took a swing at Carl and Shiva, the tiger jumped in, Negan paused his swing. No way on earth. Even if he was distracted, he'd still finish the swing. It's true. It's, you know, baseball, professional baseball players practice to do this, like to start a swing and then stop it in time to not take a strike, right? If they don't want to. Well, they have professional athlete reflexes. That's right. And they do this for a living. Maybe Negan used to be a baseball player, but I don't think so. And uh, he was able to stop his swing mid-swing when a tiger jumped out behind him. Yeah. I've had a couple of occurrences in my life where I've sent signals to my body to do something and then realized that I shouldn't do that and tried to retract them and wasn't able to. Like, my reaction time in my brain was like, whoa, don't do that. My body's like, too bad, man. You already told me to do it. Yeah, I'm doing it. I'm not taking it back. No. Well, um... Yeah, hitting a baseball thrown by a major league pitcher is one of the most difficult things to do 
in sports. I read a whole article about it and the amount of time that your brain has to try to track track the ball and swing and decide to swing and where to swing. It's almost impossible that anyone can do it. So it's pretty impressive that these guys can. Uh, but once you've decided to swing, you're, especially as a non-professional, you are probably going to swing that bat. <laughs> yeah. Swing away. Swing away. George in Byron Bay, Australia writes, holy crap, did you hear Rick's absolutely badass speech to Negan when he retold his I'm going to kill you speech with the addition of lines like, you're already dead. I honestly got chills. It was so good to see Rick not just giving up and Andrew Lincoln's performance was, as always, phenomenal. And I 100% agree with that, George. I also agree. Uh, Dan in Durant, Iowa writes, holy crap, did you see that Negan has officially become a cartoon slash Bond villain? He monologues so long that his arch enemy finds a way to escape. I was screaming at the TV, kill him, kill Carl, make it mean something. <laughs> so that's sort of on the other side of things here. Yeah. At least you didn't have a cape. No, that would have been silly. But I do kind of agree with Dan. I don't want to see a character get bashed in the head, but in a way, I wish he was successful in killing Carl. Nothing against Carl. <laughs> no offense, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> but it would have made things that much more shocking and just terrifying and holy crap inducing. So, Yeah, but, you know, you look at it from a character point of view from, for Negan, right? He's He's theatrical he wants to monologue he wants to talk it through he wants to make it a big deal he wants everybody to quiver in their space boots he, he wants this to happen in a very theatrical way so you know draw it out for as long as possible that's you know it's his style i guess so but that's might be his undoing at some point he just can't get around to bashing a guy he just has to keep talking about it so much Right. I mean, the only other thing he could do is uh, set up an elaborate way to kill somebody and then leave, assuming that it'll work. Right. Well, he still might. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Matthias on the internet, or Matthias, sorry, writes, Did you see that that one newly dug grave for Sasha after hundreds of guns were pointed and shot at each other? The one guy lying dead on the street with the red shirt was not as lucky as Sasha has been. Besides this ridiculous low amount of casualties, it was a good season finale. Yeah, it was good. More graves. More graves, because not a lot of, well, not a lot of people died, and those who did, they just, they're still lying there on the street, I guess. I don't know. Because, you know, if you, me, and a couple of hundred of our closest friends were each given automatic and semi-automatic weapons and were put in an area and were required to shoot at each other, we probably wouldn't hit a lot. There's a lot of empty space in a gunfight. I know, but uh, everyone was standing on the street, like right there, and they all started shooting, and nobody got hit. Like only the bad guys got hit. Uh, I, I really don't think that uh, I didn't have a problem with it because none of them were really aiming. They were. They looked like they were aiming, but you know they weren't taking the time to, you know, fire once. Uh, you know, reassess the situation, fire again. Uh, they were just popping off rounds and that kind of thing. You know, bullets go all over the place and they don't hit shit. So I wasn't overly worried about it. Somebody got hit, you know, that red shirt guy died. Yeah. They didn't care about that guy. That guy can go fuck himself. I guess. <laughs> no funeral for you. Yeah. He's just lying in the street there. 
yeah. idiot. Maybe they did one funeral at a time, and we only saw the one for Sasha. Maybe his right, was next. she's the most important, so they did her first. Of course, even after they had to go out in the forest and find her and stab her in the head. Yeah. Um, let's see. Sean in Richmond, Virginia writes, Holy crap, are we finally done accusing Enid of being a spy? Turns, nope. turns out it was the garbage guys all along. How about that? I'm not done. Not done. Okay. I'm not done. I'd still, you know, there's pretty good evidence that she's not a spy, spy, but I don't think there's definitive evidence that she's not a spy. Okay. So Jason is sticking to it. I'm kind of coming back around to not a spy. I I, I wavered there in the last couple of weeks, but I think she's probably okay. Uh, Adam in Austin writes, holy crap, what's with the tone? When Negan is seeing Sasha to her coffin, the music was all sweet and emotional, almost making us empathize with Negan a little. No, we do not need any moral complexity there. We need a villain to die. Ahem. Aside from that, awesome episode. Yeah. Finally, Sean on the internet writes, so many obvious holy craps, so I will pick something not so obvious. Holy crap, did you see the tenderness of how Jesus clearly was restraining zombie Sasha to be dispatched? The scene was very moving. They didn't show you anything because they don't have to. Yeah. And that's, exact, that's exactly it. Uh, I said finally, but we actually have one more here. And, <laughs> and finally, uh, finally. And yes, the double finally, we have this call from Jamie in the UK. Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Jamie from London. And I just have a holy crap, did you see that? moment with the entire episode it was insane i was hooked the tension killed me i didn't know what was happening next and all the build-up in the episodes leading up to this have just totally been paid off and i cannot wait to see what happens in season eight and i feel like I wasn't one of the people that disliked the cliffhanger at the end of season six, but this is how you end a season. And I am so excited. Um, that's all I have to say. And uh just want to thank you guys for everything you do and keep up the good work. Thanks. No, Jamie, thank you. And I, th- I just want to play that at the end because it kind of sums up, I think, the way I'm feeling about it, you know. It uh, um, it was just an amazing season finale, and they paid off what they were building up, and yeah, I just I don't feel like they could have done it any better. I I liked the season finale; it was good. It was so. I hope you know our expectations weren't just lowered by by what we got last year, um, but I don't think so because we're far enough separated from that now that I don't hold the same sort of anger towards that as I did at the time, even though I still know I didn't like it. I'm kind of past it now, but, uh, but I, but I, but I don't know. I, in general, just, this is how you do it. So very, 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 very happy. All right. Uh, long podcast this week, but that's okay. Season finales are a big deal. Um, we will be back later this week with our feedback show. So continue to send in your thoughts and comments and stuff like that. And after that, we will probably take the next week off until we come back on Easter Monday, the 17th of April, to record a podcast and announce the winner of our Season 7 Record Your Favorite Scene contest. 
Um, so get those entries in. You've got about another week. The deadline is next Monday, the 10th. And I'll remind you on, on Thursday, of course. Um, after that, we are going to do a season seven wrap up crossover with Jason and Karen from the walking dead cast, as we always do. That will be super fun. So look for that. And then, you know, Jason, I was thinking this summer, maybe we'll bring back the act, the walking dead actor spotlights. Oh, nice. We haven't done those in a while and there's lots of, you know, new actors to choose from on the show. So, uh, I think that could be fun again. I think that would be, that'd be great. I look forward to it. All right. So that will probably happen. And we are nine weeks away right now from the start of Fear the Walking Dead season three. Oh, good. <laughs> so we have that to look forward to as well, I guess. How many episodes this season do you know? 15. Okay, good. So significant. Yeah. As almost as many as on the, the mother show here. Yeah. Uh, so, so we got all that coming up. So not you know, no, no rest. We're going to continue podcasting through the break. But for those of you who don't listen to us when The Walking Dead's not on, uh, I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in during this season. We do hope you will join us again in season eight, but give us a chance in the off season. It's, it's fun. We do some good stuff. We talk about stuff kind of zombie related or Walking Dead related, but not directly. Um, God, I still want to play the, the Telltale game and talk about that and whatever else we can do. So um, stick with us if you can, but if not, that's cool. Hopefully we'll see you again in season eight next October. And um, just thank you to everyone who tunes in uh, and makes us a part of their week when, when you're commuting or working out or whenever you listen to us, you know, washing the dishes. Yeah. It's wonderful. Cutting grass, gardening, cleaning your house, whatever you do. We are thrilled that you bring us along for that. So thank you so much to everybody. All right. Well, if you'd like to get in touch with us before the feedback show next uh, later this week or at any time, of course, you can send email to talkingdeadpodcast to at gmail.com. I don't know why I screw that up every week anymore. Talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. You can go to our website and click on the send voicemail button to record a message. And of course, follow us on Twitter at Talking Dead or check out the Facebook page at facebook.com slash the Talking Dead. Well, Jason, season seven is over. Um, anything to add before we almost call it a season here? I don't think so. I think it was a, it was a good season finale, and I'm looking forward to the next season. Well, that'll start sometime in October 2017. And uh, then, you know, Star Wars Episode Eight comes out in December. So we'll have to do a podcast about that too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> See, I'm just looking ahead. I'm looking ahead at all this stuff we've got coming up. All right. Until Thursday, everybody. My name is Chris. My name is Michael. Fuck. <laughs> Sorry. You surprised me. <laughs> All right, let's try again. Until Thursday, everybody. My name is Negan. And my name is Michael. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.